Hi. Hello. Uh, who's doing the intro today? I guess I will. We didn't discuss it beforehand. This is episode 122 of Effectively Wild, the Baseball Prospectus Daily Podcast. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh, and in Long Beach, California, you are Sam Miller. Are you Hi. still in the Honda Fit these days, or have you migrated? I haven't been in the Honda Fit in probably uh, a month and a half. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't think so. I guess I can hear traffic noise in the, yeah. in the distance. I just sit on the stoop now. Well, I hope you move back indoors once the crickets come back. Like indoors in my house? Oh, you mean indoors back into the Honda Fit? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, we have a topic. It is not timely. It is not topical. But it's a topic. So we're going to talk about <laughs> <laughs> a Nate Silver article from 2008. Pre-2008 election, Nate Silver, uh, who was at the time projecting pitching prospects for baseball prospectus and he predicted i guess it was uh all of the pitchers selected in the first round is that right in no well no what we're i, I guess what we're looking at if, if you're looking at the thing that i'm looking at it's um pakotas for players with no professional playing time so basically this was 2008 june 5th 2008 and i believe these are the 2007 draft picks right um who uh, I guess who had uh, not played when the 2008 season began. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, like the David Rice class. Uh, I'm sorry, the David Price class of draft picks, the ones who uh, didn't play that summer. So mm-hmm. uh, the players are David Price, Mike Mustakis, Josh Fitters, Daniel Moscos, Matt Weeters, Ross Detweiler, Matt Laporta, Casey Weathers, Jared Parker. Uh, Madison Bumgarner and Rick Porcello, which is a pretty good group of players. Still going with Porcello, huh? Oh, sorry, I forgot. Yeah, poor <laughs> Porcello. Yes, Doug Thorburn clarified for us from the Bill James Handbook, which apparently has a pronunciation guide that it is Porcello. Anyway, continue. Uh, that's all. That's all I got. <laughs> so Nate projected these players, and they are all. Uh, they're all, I guess. I guess you could say a couple of them are are busts or complete busts. They all made yeah. it to the majors, at least. They got there. Uh, I don't know. Did they? I honestly don't know who Casey Weathers oh, is. Oh, yeah, Casey Weathers. Uh, Casey Weathers did not. That's right. Um, other than that, I guess they all made it. And I guess it's the. Uh, he this was in 2008 and so he projected their stats in 2012 which is why we're looking at it now um to see how it turned out and i guess the the projections don't look quite as good as the actual text that Nate wrote in some cases he sort of perceived something about a player that uh pakoda did not because it was based on so little information yeah, it's sort of interesting how little um, how little credit Pakoda is willing to give any of these players, and so well, I guess the pitchers. It, actually, the hitters. It's fairly optimistic about for the most part. Um, not 
not across the board. Uh, it sees Josh Vitters, for instance, as being terrible. Mm-hmm. And so far, Josh Vitters, uh, in his short time in the majors, has been terrible and is kind of, I don't know, maybe not quite a bust yet, but kind of busty. Um, and, but the pitchers are all like... The, <laughs> Josh Vitters is busty. He's busty. Uh-huh. Uh, the pitchers all have just the most depressing projections. There, there's uh, very little... Uh, reason to hope that any of them are going to turn into anything. And you recall from about 85 seconds ago that I, I named those pitchers, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are very good. Uh, one of them won the Cy Young Award this year. One of them uh, is um, uh, Madison Bumgarner. One of them is Jared Parker. Uh, they're good pitchers. And uh, Pakoda, though, um, you know, clearly believes in the idea that there is no such thing as a pitching prospect because, like Price for 2012, it projects a 4.78 ERA, 5.2 strikeouts per nine, um, which is much worse than he is. In case you're not at a computer and you can't look it up, he's better. <laughs> yeah. And yet Nate wrote about him that he's yes. on something resembling the Justin Verlander career path, which is his I guess, comps, a good call. Yeah, his comps are perfect because, I mean, his comps really do show the entire range of pitchers that, that a pitcher can be. Um, so it's Verlander, who Nate specifically names um, as a comp for price. So it's Verlander, uh, superstar, right, Hall of Famer. Mark Mulder, uh, star, but not Hall of Famer, a very good major leaguer for a while. Mm-hmm. Mark Pryor, superstar, arm injuries, disappears. Uh, Paul Wilson, uh, injuries. Hangs, on, hangs on a long time, but never really even average. And Dewan Brazelton who is nothing, who it basically, uh, we are the last generation that will have ever heard of him in any way. <laughs> but we'll um, pass it on, probably. I will. <laughs> I'll tell my kids. You'll you'll tell your, your children around the <laughs> whatever we're burning yes. in the postal apocalyptic haze. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's what David Price could have been. He could have been Justin Verlander, Mark Mulder, Paul Wilson, Mark Pryor, or... Dewan Brazelton. Um, and uh, so Pakoda averages all those together and comes up with a, a pretty unimpressive um, projection for 2012. Uh, and it's sort of the same way all the way down the line. Like um, Bumgarner was projected to uh, strike out 5.1 per nine, walk 4.2 per nine, and have a 5.75 ERA this year in 2012. And he's better than that. Uh, Porcello, Por- sorry, Porcello. 6.5 ERA, 4.7 strikeouts, 4.6 walks per nine. Uh, Parker, 6.45 ERA. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that everybody who reads baseball prospectus is aware of the fragility of pitching prospects. Pakoda was particularly aware of it. And I think, I don't know, I think you could probably argue to a fault looking at it right now. I mean, it, uh, certainly this is not the um, the final word on prospect projections, this one article written about 11 players five years ago, uh, but just in this um, group of pitchers, there it, it's, it seems far too pessimistic uh, on the whole. Like even the guys that it that it hit, um, you know, I, you know, Moss and Weathers are, are the flops there. Uh, but you know, I mean, okay, so you you project two flops that were there, and then you miss the five guys who turned into. Pre- Basically. Yeah, well, the Moscos, uh, Nate said his, his strikeout rates at Lynchburg simply aren't adequate for a player who is relatively old for his league and whose selling point was his polish. So at that point in 2008, he was 22 years old and at high A, and he had 
something like a, a almost a six ERA and struck out just over six per nine. And I guess at that point, it was already pretty clear that that was a big mistake um, and that he yeah. wasn't really going to pan out. I thought the... the Moscow, week... Wasn't Moscow's basically a, a big mistake the day he yeah, was drafted? Yeah, right. Yes. Um, and I thought that the Weeders uh, comment was interesting because... I guess it was the year. What was the the year that Weeders went crazy in the minors, uh, and then it was after this year. So it was yeah. the next year at the Weeders the Weeders phenomenon. <laughs> right. There was no website of of Weeders facts at this point, uh, and so Nate said that uh, he said thinking of a Carlos Pena type bat appended to a catcher's body should give you roughly the right idea. And I guess if you look at Weeders now, uh, I mean, he's, it's not a perfect comp, but he had a low batting average and he hit some homers. So in that sense, he kind of had a Carlos Pena-esque season, uh, which was very valuable because he's a really, really good defensive catcher. But I don't know, I guess the the expectations for Weeders based on, on that following season when he went crazy was that he would be just uh, one of the best hitters in baseball the second he stepped on the field. Um, whereas, I guess, the season before that season, he was just kind of expected to be a pretty good hitter who was a catcher and would therefore be good. And I guess that's kind of what he's turned out to be to this point. I think Weeders is probably the best projection on here that we're looking at. I mean, I don't know. You keep reading Nate's words, which is fine, but that sort of defeats the point. Yes, we're talking about right. I mean, the, if you're trying to argue that a human uh, can give better context than uh, stats alone, um, well, I think everybody kind of agrees with that. Um, a human using stats, but also able to look at it. Right. Um, yeah. If you so, haven't but, read uh, Nate's book, he did a whole chapter in there, kind of about Pakoda, and he compared. Pakoda's 100 top prospects from a period of a few years to, I guess it was Baseball America's, and he found that that the stats, or or that the scouts kind of beat the stats. It wasn't a, an enormous advantage, and Pakoda had some hits that were misses for Baseball America and, and vice versa, but on the whole, the scouts kind of won, and Nate's uh, observation about that was that that made perfect sense, and that and that the scouts really should win because they have all the statistical information and they also have the scouting information, which Pakoda kind of incorporated more so than other projection systems, but not as much as a scout can. So if a scout is looking at the stats and also is a scout and can perceive scouty things, then theoretically he should outperform a, a straight projection system. Yeah, I mean, the only way you can make an argument against scouts uh, is basically if you think that the human brain is broken, um, that it has uh, serious flaws with the way it processes processes information, or that scouts are essentially um, uh, bad at what they do and uh, won't consider uh, alternative sources of information. And I think that there's some truth to all of those things. Um, and it's I, I wasn't really around 
15 or 20 years ago. So it's if you know it's possible that that's how it was 15 or 20 years ago. I'm I don't really know. It might have been. It probably wasn't. But at this point, I think there's enough accountability in the system, and the the priorities have been kind of uh, hammered in that I don't think any of those things are particularly true about current scouts. Um, so uh, anyway, though, uh, Weeders is the best. I think the best projection on here. Uh, the hitters, though, are all I think uh, across the board are too optimistic. Uh, Mustakis. Um, well, although I guess it's conceivable that Pakoda wasn't factoring in a decrease in league-wide offense. Mm-hmm. So, like, Dakota's yeah. projection for Mostakis is 264, 328, 427, which is about 30 points of OBP and about 20 points of slugging too much. Uh, but it's conceivable that if you translate it for era, mm-hmm. that that actually might be quite close. Weeders is quite close. It's about basically 15 points of on-base percentage um, is the only difference. Uh, Vitters, it's hard to say, but uh, it didn't really like Vitters, but Vitters is actually... Uh, even worse than that um and laporta it thought was going to be basically josh willingham at this point in his career with maybe even more power and he's obviously not yes uh not completely related but i wonder um in nate's book and also in many other places uh there's this story of how kind of when Moneyball came out and and the st- statistical revolution was getting underway. There was the stereotypical stats versus scout uh, conflict, which was probably overblown, but at that point probably did exist to some extent. And Nate sort of argues that it arose out of the fear that stats would, or stat guys would take scouts jobs and that teams wouldn't need scouts anymore because they'd be able to rely on the stats. And that turned out to be a false alarm that really hasn't happened uh, to any appreciable extent. Nate mentions in his book that that the A's now spend more on scouting than they did uh, kind of during the Moneyball era. So that turned out to be a false alarm that, that, scouts, that stats would just make scouts obsolete but I wonder whether that will happen to some extent when the technology does advance beyond where it is now. Not that scouts will never have a role. They will probably always have an important role. But I guess, I mean, the stats that we've had to this point have not been able to replace what a scout does. You can't look at stats especially for a minor leaguer and tell what kind of player he is when field effects is set up in every park at every level which conceivably will happen let's say at, at some point you know whether it's in the next decade uh or a little bit more than that but it will happen at some point probably every professional ballpark will have some sort of field effects camera system that will capture everyone's movements and know how fast everyone can run and how quickly they get a jump and how hard they throw the ball, which already we know. So that's scouting information. That's what we rely on scouts for to some extent. Of course, there's always the makeup aspect, which a field effect system is never going to be able to judge. But it does seem like a system like that with complete coverage would probably... uh, certainly not make scouts redundant, but do you think that 
any of that fear uh, that turned out to be misplaced a decade ago will actually turn out to be warranted, say, a decade from now? I don't know. I mean, when it's the trade deadline and Zach Granke's going to get <clears throat> traded and, like, 12 teams send scouts to go watch his start, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you could not possibly have more information on a pitcher than than major league teams currently have and are able to access on Zach Greinke in the present moment, right? I mean, mm-hmm. not only do you have seven or eight years of, of data of him in the majors where every pitch is charted and perfectly uh, measured, um, but, I mean, you can pull it up, you can watch all these games, you can see different angles, you can get all the pitch FX data, and I assume tons of other data that we don't even see, and yet they all send a scout to watch him. So, mm-hmm. um, like, I don't know if, that's a like a rational thing that they're doing. I, I'm not sure why they do that. I think somebody like maybe Kevin wrote about it recently or like last trade deadline, but I didn't read it. Um, but I mean, clearly there is a. I, I uh, think Kevin and Jason talked about that on the podcast at some point, and it was like teams will send an experienced guy to go look at those players, but it's almost like it's almost an information gathering mission as much as it is a scouting mission, like it'll be hanging around the field before the game and watching a guy's body language or talking to people around the team and trying to find out if he's putting the effort in and what his, his mindset yeah. is. And it, so it's not so much, oh, he's throwing harder yeah. or not throwing as hard. It's just the sort of stuff that uh, is not picked up by a computer. Yeah, and that's that's sort of what I was getting at, is that there are still all these things that aren't picked up uh, that you can't measure. I mean, when, I, uh, when I'm when i in a minor league park and I see the scouts, I um, it is sort of uh, interesting how they're basically, they're clocking every pitch, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think, you know, why? Why are you guys doing that? <laughs> like, that doesn't really seem that helpful at this point in time. Yeah. Um, but I think that's just... To some degree, that's just what they do to stay busy in between kind of the more important tasks. And the more important tasks are, you know, doing all the things that you can't get a computer to do. And I think that there's, I'm gonna, I mean, I'm, it wouldn't shock me if what you're suggesting came true. But, I mean, the further you try to project, um, the longer that you're looking at a guy's future, um, I think the more important makeup you becomes. I mean, it, it's sort of the thing where uh, each year that you project out, makeup is a bigger slice of what's important, mm-hmm. uh, whether that, whether that's a long-term contract or whether you're talking about a 19-year-old. And I think that that's going to be around for a long time. If even I think it will be a, around long after it's even useful, if it ever were to stop being useful, mm-hmm. because people just people trust themselves more than they uh, than they you know I don't know people. There's a there's a weird faith that we have in humans that we that we'll never have you know in in um, in machines in things that aren't human in things that that have no pulse. I mean, when you look at um, like driverless cars are going to come around someday, right? Mm-hmm. And and at some point there's going to be a driverless car that smashes into a pedestrian and kills him, and it's going to be a humongous scandal uh, because we don't quite know. We don't have faith in driverless cars. We don't know how to deal with a machine that malfunctions. Whereas, of course, every day, you know, scores and scores of pedestrians are hit and killed by humans that are driving. It's like, eh, no big deal, because mm-hmm. we we sort of accept uh, 
that humans do things, but uh, we don't quite know how to deal with machines yet. And I don't. I think that that's probably going to be the case for as long as you and I are just in baseball. Yeah, uh, I agree that I, I would say it would probably always be useful. I guess I just wonder if you do replace those kind of lower level tasks that scouts do, uh, if you can completely replace them with a machine that's doing them just as well. And presumably you could if it's something like a, just a time to first or, or, or timing a pitch. I wonder whether you can sustain the same size workforce or scout force if mm-hmm. you're, uh, I mean, you would still have some guys doing those important things, but if you take away the less important things that can be more easily automated, then I wonder whether ultimately that does kind of cause the the ranks to thin a little bit. Yeah, if only we knew somebody who had some insight into <laughs> Yeah, uh, we should have Kevin back again. Is it 500 it's a, yet? It's been a while. It's been... It feels like we've done 500 it's episodes. It's been over 20. It's pretty... Uh-huh. It's close enough. <laughs> wow. Can, was that really only 20 episodes ago? <laughs> feels like forever it does oh it does it was yeah it was the the dead part of the off season 20 so that's probably why yeah all right well that's the end of this one that's the end of the whole week all right uh 20 did you say 120 or 121 this is is 122 oh wow okay never mind oh yeah you were hoping we were uh so we might be off monday i guess We will be. We will not be doing a podcast on Monday uh, for Martin Luther King Day, so that gets us. Uh, that gets us one closer to. I mean, that's really, I think, what the holiday is for. Yes, is getting us closer <laughs> to ending the number on a even number. Yeah, or on a multiple of five. I'm okay with a five, also. A <laughs> number. Uh, Okay, so we will do one non-email show on Tuesday, and then we'll do an email show on Wednesday. So send us some emails so we can talk about them at podcast at baseballperspectus.com.